and gentlemen, welcome to this edition of The Young and the Rowdies. And it's a special edition. It is 2-22-22 on a Tuesday. Club going up on a Tuesday. It's your boy, Patrick Young, uh, getting to do another episode of The Young and the Rowdies, where I bring you everything that is Florida Gator basketball. And we're coming off, the Gators are coming off a big win against Auburn basketball in exact tech. I'm still going to call it the O-Dome, but, you know, for the this new generation, they're not going to know it as the O-Dome. They're going to know it as exact tech, uh, where the first time in school history, uh, the Florida Gators beat the number a number two ranked team in uh, in the O-Dome, which was pretty cool for the program and for Coach Wyatt, especially with the team being on the bubble. But we're going to dive into a bunch of, uh, bunch of fun stuff this episode. I want to introduce our guest. Uh, but before doing that, again, let's remember to thank the Field of 68 Media Network for the opportunity to share this content with you guys. Please check them out. Uh, Rob Douster and Jeff Goodman, along with many other former collegiate athletes representing their, uh, their alumni programs. Um, but here, here I am bringing you uh, Florida Gator and uh, other things um, around. But without further ado, I want to introduce a formerly correspondent uh, to Florida Athletics and now has been promoted as the main beat reporter for Florida Athletics. Graham Hall, how's it going, my man? Thank you for being on the show. Pat, I'm, I'm honored, honestly, to join the show with you. I grew up as a fan of you. I watched you in college. I know you probably get that a lot. I'm sure you're getting more used to it now, but yeah, I mean, to be here talking basketball with you, I mean, your wealth of knowledge, Florida fans are really lucky that you do this constantly and and help talk about the game in a way that I think that a lot of people out there aren't seeing it. And, you know, this is a complex game ultimately. And to be able to break it down with someone like yourself, I'm, I'm honored. Yeah, man, uh, that, that that means a whole lot. Uh, gosh, it's it's so strange just because it's like, I'm on, I'm on uh, Twitter every now and then and, and I'm on, and, and I see uh, someone, I think Gareth Gutierrez, he posted the video of when I dove at Tennessee to, to get the loose ball. And it's like eight years ago, this play happened. And I'm like, are you kidding me? It's like, it's gone by that fast. I can, I can remember it like it was yesterday. Um, and just those times of being a Florida Gator, man, it's, it's almost as though, you know, I think I did do a pretty good job of living in the moment when I was there playing, but also I think I could have done a better job of it as well. Cause it was a dream. It was a dream come true to play for a winning program for the school, the university that my grandparents um, were huge diehard fans of and still are. Um, they instilled that into me. And then for me to be able to go and play basketball there um, and, and not only just play, but to win, to win a lot, to beat Kentucky, to go undefeated um, in the SEC, to, to go to a Final Four. Um, and now, outside looking in, being able to still stay close to the program and and, and uh, now working for the SEC Network and, and being, a, it's, it's, it's awesome, man. So, and I'm sure for you, it's, it's pretty cool coming full circle from, from being a, a student to being a, covering the team in this, in this dynamic as well. I got to be honest, Pat, I, if I probably, you know, racked my mind, I'm sure that I said some crazy fan stuff 10 years ago about the game that I didn't understand, you know, at nearly the level that I do now, even I still have so much more to learn, obviously, but I was one of those crazy fans 10 years ago. I had the pleasure of growing up here in Gainesville as well. I went to 
middle school, high school, you name it. And then got to blessed to go to UF afterwards. So I saw the 06 runs, the wow. 07, 08 years, and, and then your time there, 2013, 14, just the incredible heights. And, you know, I, I know that there's been lows, but what do you think when you look around at how many changes have happened in the game? I mean, oh, man. not to put you on the spot here. No, no, you're good. Those first couple um, of years, the transfer portal would have been hard, I'm sure, to to stay away from and name, yeah. image, and likeness. I mean, I'm sure you would have got the GNC contract right off the bat. <laughs> I mean, there's just so many GNC outside <laughs> temptations that I'm sure it's hard. I'm sure Will to... Greer would have got that one too. Oh, oh man, you know, burn. for a couple of months before they, they blew up his spot. But honestly, <laughs> I, there's so many outside temptations. And I mean, was it easier, do you feel like, to lock in on the development process in those first few years compared to today? I mean, I know you're okay. outside looking in right now, but got to imagine everything they're dealing with is making things difficult in a sense. And then you add in yeah, COVID and the pandemic and getting tested oh. and vaccinations. I mean, Oh dude. Yeah. Like it is, it is a world. It's a different world. It's a different world, not only from the game itself, um, but to everything outside it that comes along with it. You know what the NCAA held on to for so long and you get it. I get it. It's for the love of the game, for the education. But because they were so resistant to ever accepting that this was this that change was going to happen, and so and fighting again tooth and nail to prevent it, the the the, the bridge when when nil uh, became legal and on July first of twenty twenty one, it was like oh snap we had no contingency plan for how to proceed. So now it's just like anyone and everyone, and it's and it's it's unregulated. There's no there's no union. There's no, uh, uh, it's different state law from, from every, so like there's no university that's doing it and their approach is all the same way with it. It's for, for this first year, cause I work for a company right now, I work for a, uh, NFT company outside of doing the SEC stuff. And, um, I get a chance to, to work closely and contact and, and speak with these universities, Quite often, their athletic departments, their administrators, their compliance, their NIL committees that they now have. And it's just, it's overwhelming right now. Um, Some universities are taking a wait and see approach. Some are putting their toe in the water. Some are trying to be trailblazers. And I can't say one way is better than the other right now, but the the fact that one school can take, use it as an advantage because state law allows them to versus another university that maybe wants to, but can't, or, and then the, oh man, don't even get me started with licensing. Licensing is a, a licensing on itself is a headache, but the biggest headache of, uh, for, for this, and this goes two side, two ways with, in regards to the student athletes is that first off, they're your kids, your, 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 your student athletes. Like you don't, when I was in those shoes, when I was a student athlete, when I was at UF, I didn't want to read contracts. I didn't, I didn't know, have any financial literacy. I didn't, uh, I wasn't great at time management. I wasn't super organized. I, I didn't know what I didn't know. I, I had no idea what to trust. I didn't know the questions to ask. Uh, and then from, from business's standpoint that are trying to make these things happen and for, and for athletic advisors, and I'll tell you, and I'll tell you this story uh, real quick. And this goes in relation to the University of Florida. Uh, there was a there was a business that came to speak to the football team, 
um, or some, something along that. Some of the details might not be extremely accurate, but the, the sum of the, the summary of the story will hit home. This company said, hey, 100 football players on the roster, all you have to do to, to earn this $700 uh, uh, is to download this app and create an account. That's literally all you have to do. Uh, that's that literally taking a horse to water. Here, here, thirsty horse. If you want to drink, here's some water that I brought you to. After that meeting, guess how many of the hundred student of the football players actually signed up? Do you have a guess? I, I would say 60, 60 or more. Half of that. Yeah, man. <laughs> Pretty of the so that was makes it so so difficult because it's like for for businesses that want to and boosters that want to help. And then there's, you know, the, the other side, the student athletes aren't really, uh, you know, really taking the initiative. And then it's the, it's just so complicated right now. Um, that's why I don't, I don't know if there's ever going to be, I, I just hope there can be some regulation because it, it can be a distraction. It will be a distraction. Um, and, and there's instances like, you know, you look at Clemson, I'll use Clemson, for example, again, uh, or, or even Oklahoma star quarterbacks get these huge deals coming into the season and they had, they flopped. They didn't have a great, they didn't have, end up having great years. So it's like, did, did, did it really benefit the business in that standpoint? It, it's just, it's just right now. It, it's super, it definitely can be a distraction. And, and I try to tell, tell kids when I get the chance, Hey, do what you need to do to make sure you play this game or whatever for a long time, because those opportunities they're, they're not going to go anywhere. Yes, you know, manage your time. If, if there's something quick and easy that you can do, but if it's taking you away from, from what you need to do on the court to get better to, like if it's taking away from you watching some film, from getting some extra sleep, recovery, uh, wh whatever, if, if it can create a, if you put yourself in a situation where you have to do a number of posts uh, during a certain time period, yet you're playing terribly, at that same time period, it's, it just looks terrible. It looks bad. It just, it just makes your, your brand looks bad that, Oh, you're more focused on this deal than working on your game and being also like, but there's not really anyone to kind of teach and educate on those things. So um, hopefully things will balance out and get kind of level for the student athletes here soon. Um, but yeah, that's, but, and I was going to say from a rule standpoint to basketball, one thing that I, I just look at it, and I'm not sure if fans were able to watch the college game day that just recently came up this past weekend. It was uh, uh, Jay Billis, uh, Lafonso Ellis. Um, I can't remember everybody's name, but the usual game day staff. They were at the, the Arizona, Oregon, uh, I think. Um, or it was Michigan State. I can't remember, but that's besides the point. They were talking about fouls and how the game has been officiated uh, in recent years. When, when my, my junior year was when... Um, they implemented uh, that like freedom of play. Like you couldn't, you can't, you couldn't touch a guy. Mm -hmm. it, it wasn't even about, cause I, I remember coach Donovan, he brought when they, they changed, I think they changed these rules. It had to be, the, it had to be the beginning of the season. It had to, he brought some officials in to practice so we could like start getting kind of used to how fouls are going to be called. And will you get, got the ball on the block. He was going to drive by me. And I, I just, I reached out and touched him. I didn't, he didn't fall off. He didn't lose his dribble. He, he, he didn't get bumped. He, he still had his path, 
but it was a foul. And I was just like, what? That that's the way that fouls are going to be called now. Like literally he beats me and I can't, I can't, I literally can't touch him. And I get it. If I made him lose the ball, if I would have uh, pushed him over or something like, but I'm like, dang, this is a, this is supposed to be a physical game. And then I leave college fouls were getting called at an, at an egregious level yeah. by 2015. And the officiating, they changed the rules. And this is what Jay Billis was talking about that, now officials they're doing their jobs but they're not they're not uh doing it according to the rule book they're not called so so like fouls aren't getting called <laughs> as much yeah. as they need to be um so it's i don't know how 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 well i maybe i would do better with that because i maybe i wouldn't have gotten in foul trouble but exactly. um, <laughs> i saw dan warner a couple couple weeks ago and my first thought was a guy that can space the floor and can just not get those ticky-tack fouls, it's going to kill it in today's game. But you kind of just touched on what goes on behind the scenes every single year here in college basketball. They look back, the referee officiating committee, they try and figure out how they can get the game to be a more appealing product, yeah, but also set players up for the next level. And so the change in, in physicality absolutely was one. They realized that the game was getting so slow, the pace of play was horrible. We got to let guys play. This year, do you know what they're doing more and more and more that we've never seen before? They're letting guys get away with quote-unquote Euro steps, which is a travel. I mean, I have never seen more travels in the game right now than I ever have. And it's because they're letting guys get away with shuffling their feet, taking an extra step, because they're supposed to be giving the benefit of the doubt if a guy is taking an extra step. Because at the next level, you want to have a product that's more appealing Wow. And so referees have gone into this year currently cognizant of the fact that they're going to have to let guys get away with two, three steps that they normally would have been quick to blow the whistle on. And so you get a guy who can moderately dribble the ball up the floor. I'm not trying to criticize a Jabari Smith type, but it's going to be more conducive to him want to open uh, dribble in the open floor right. because of the way the game is called. If he huh. gets doubled, he has a chance to pivot out of that when before they're, they're putting the whistle in their mouths the minute they see the double team coming over. Oh, and man. So right now you're seeing less and less travel calls, I think, ever in the game. And you have to go back and look at that. But the refs are trying to make a more appealing product. So it's one well, of the things I, you're I seeing right I, now. I get it to the standpoint of what you just said. Like the college game should emulate what these players are going to experience on the next level. Yeah. Um, whether it's G League, whether it is in the NBA, but like overseas, like that whistle gets blown. Yeah. <laughs> you don't, you do not get away with, with traveling often, especially big guys. If it, if it even looks like there's something, it probably, if it, it might not be, but if it even looks like it's not fluid or something, especially a big guy, Oh, they get, they get you every time. That's unfair. Um, it's yes. It's completely unfair, but it, you know, I, for, for a guy like Jabari Smith, you know, he, he doesn't, he, he really does play within himself. Are there some shots sometimes he takes where you're like, oh, okay, that's a really tough shot, but he, he's, he's a tough shot maker, but he's not, you know, he's getting these Kevin Durant comparisons. He's not a dribble down guy. Yeah. He, don't get me wrong. He'll get the rebound. He'll push it. He'll pull up at the three and just, but as far as like getting it on, getting it out on the wing and just crossing guy up doing like it and dry, like he, you don't see him do that often um, do it, but I think he can develop into being that player. Uh, he's been on a hot streak these last few games. <laughs> he was the reason 
he was the reason Auburn stayed in that game because their guard play has been struggling lately. Uh, Wendell Green has not been playing great. Katie Johnson, he's been solid. He's been solid. Um, Alan Flanagan, this just hasn't been his year. Um, but, you know, you don't want to ever take away the thought of him just – they didn't need him. They, I, I can't say they don't need him at all, but in the standpoint where he was last year without the Jabari Smith and whatnot, they haven't needed him to that capacity. He's been like a completely turned into a role player. Yeah. Um, and I, I hate that for him. I love it for the program, but I hate that for him individually because he like decided to come back. You know, he decided to come back when he could have left. And I don't, I'm pretty sure he's not projected to get drafted in the, at where he was at the beginning of the season. Um, but shoot, that was, that was a, I, the only, the first thing my, I have a buddy that um, I, I like, we always, he's always text me when the Gators play and he's like, wow, what a win. The first thing I text him was like, damn it, Texas A&M. <laughs> <laughs> I, you know, cause I asked Mike White after the game, you know, you get on social media, you see some of these fans and they were livid after the Texas A&M game. Yeah. Final possession, one point loss on the road to a team that hadn't won in a month. But then four days later, you come home, and then that just happened to Auburn, losing yeah. the final buzzer, one possession in the SEC. I mean, that kind of just speaks a lot of credence to how much parity is within the league in my mind. But <laughs> yeah, also, you can't expect guys. to go 18-0 and in the SEC anymore. I, I, not to say that it, it can't be done, but it's going to become tougher and tougher to do because – you yeah. just mentioned Katie Johnson. I love that story. I mean, can you imagine leaving another SEC team and going to another team in the SEC, and then on the way out the door, your coach says he sucks, get lost. That's what Tom Crean did to Katie Johnson. He says he has an attitude problem, isn't going to make it here in the SEC. That's just so wow. short-sighted knowing that you also are going to have to recruit in the transfer portal, bring guys back in, and now he's – in the starting backcourt of a team that has a chance to win the huh. national championship. The fact I didn't that realize, I didn't realize yeah. coach Crean left him with, with that explains a lot. When I, you go back and look at that, that Georgia game, yeah. why Katie and Katie Johnson, like he, he can do it. You know, he'll drive in and he can finish through contact being undersized, but he was like forcing so much in that, in that Georgia game. And I can understand completely yeah. now why he was, <laughs> I thought it was just like that, that, you know, oh, I'm going to some other team. I want to show up. Like, it's like, no, like, no, I want to show you Tom Cream. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, Cream disrespected the man out the door. Dang, and man. you're already right now seeing the game. And, and I think you can definitely speak to this too, where coaches are becoming more against recruiting some of these smaller guards, where yes. you're just seeing smaller guards kind of get pushed to the mid majors and kind of be like, okay, if you can really play this level, go prove it there. And then I'll talk to you in a year in the transfer portal. Yeah. I love seeing guys like Tyree Appleby, Katie Johnson, who know that they're a foot shorter than all these other guys and have no problem dribbling the lane and, and yelling in a guy's face when they draw contact. Because that's kind of a dying breed right now. And, and when you talk about an emotional sport like this, some of the, so many of those guys can be heartbeats of the team that the rest of the team just channels their energy that, you know, what they make up for, what they give up in stature, they make up for in personality. And so I love seeing guys like him and Tyree. This is amazing well. that you you would think that these undersized like the first thing you would think in your mind is like point guard for mm -hmm. the undersized guards, but oftentimes they're not. The smaller guys, they are they are offensive mindset guys. Score, getting my shot off, putting this. Katie Johnson, Zakai Ziegler, over at Tennessee, 
uh, Tyree Appleby, um, Chris Likes, Deshaun Ruffin. Those guys are, and then Chris Likes had an awesome block uh, a few weeks ago on a, on a bigger guy. I think he actually pinned it on the backboard. Uh, but for these smaller guards, it, it's just that, you know, you, they, you have to have a, a, a chip on your shoulder. You, you kind of have to. I think out of the, all those guys that we named, Zakai Ziegler, he's probably been my favorite to watch. In the SEC, um, he brings just a level of toughness, especially defensively, um, that he's shooting the ball well from three right now. He's, he's shooting almost 50% in like the last four or five games. He's almost shooting like 50% from three, like 13. It's all off the bench in like 18 minutes. Like he's, he's playing out of his mind. Um, but the level of toughness, like he had a game where he was like 0 for 8 from the field and just understood like, hey, I'm not scoring today. How else can I help this team win? And he ended up getting a big stop, uh, which helped them help them to win that game. Um, you know, I look at I look at Tyree Appleby, and and I look at that Philandris Fleming at times as well. And I'm like, in in the last, and <laughs> I'm watching the game against Auburn, and I'm like, I do not. I'm like, I do not trust. And I love I love the kid. I love Philan. I, I love. I think he's a tough. I'm like, I don't want the ball in your hand at the end of the game. I don't. <laughs> <laughs> I, I I think you you bring a great dynamic, but your decision making in that time, Tyree Appleby, he has shown um, that he has that big shot make ability. He just gets a little loose with it um, sometimes when he's dribbling in, yeah. into the paint through the paint. I, I'm still I'm not sure if the Gators' assist to turnover ratio is back to one. Mm-hmm. But the majority of the beginning of the season, it was more it was less than one. Um, and, you know, Tyree was a big part of, um, of that as far as, you know, turning the ball over. Uh, but I think, I think for the gate and, and it, oh man, that Texas A&M game, you, you can't be surprised that the Gators child a jump shooter though, because yeah. they've been oh. doing it all year. They've been doing it all yeah. year. So it's, I mean, how many, how many times did you hear a play on playoff at two feet? I mean, just leaving your feet. I mean, I was surprised that Walker Kessler left his as, as much as he did on Saturday with the head fakes that <laughs> Colin yeah. and I mean you would think the guys by now would be more terrified you want to talk about not hurting your team I mean yeah. it's worse in my mind to leave your feet on defense than to miss a shot at the other end take a C shot because you are not only risking foul trouble but I mean a, a guy gets in their head that they can take you off the dribble and get you in the air I mean they're oh, gonna man. have their way with you all night once they get you that first time too then then and if there if there's a guard like Scotty Scotty uh, Pippen Jr. Uh, and that's offensive mindset, knowing how to create a shot, create space, get you up. And, oh, they're just toying with you at that point, or even like a JD Note as well, because those guys understand just the dynamics of creating contact, of really having good uh, passable play uh, fakes. Um, but yeah, to your point, and that's why. You know, if you, if you go back and look at my stats, I think my it was I think my freshman year was I or no maybe it was my sophomore year that I had the most blocks in a season of my career. I just like got the mindset I need to be on the court. Like I want to I do want to block shots, but I can like I giving up two points or four or whatever it may be mean like and me staying on the court and helping like that's way more important because. I played such great pick and roll defense. Like Coach Donovan never had another center like me uh, after Vernon Macklin left. It was it was Eric Murphy, pick and pop uh, guy. Uh, we had Demontre Harris that came in, but he can he just he just 
didn't get it. It just didn't click with him. Oh man, if, if he if he could have gotten it, man. If it two things, if he could have figured it out and gotten in shape and remembered plays and all these things, because he was like defensive player of the year, I think his his sophomore year or, or junior year, one of the years. I and so, yeah, we, I think we had Dodo, Dorian Finney Smith, how he played his last year. If we would have had him, if we would have had that uh my last year, oh my gosh, we would have run away with <laughs> with the entire uh the entire season would have been undefeated. <laughs> we were undefeated that week. I mean, I'm sure you've talked about this a lot before, but you know, seeing what Dorian Finney-Smith, how far he has come, and you know, not to expose you or anything like that, man. I know you had your difficulties in the weight room. You know, I know a lot of people assume that you were just this Greek god from the time you got here, but lifting, days off, practice. I mean, that stuff is not easy, and. Yeah. Dorian Finney-Smith, you know, he had a lot of difficulty. I heard a lot that he was lazy, and I hate even using that word because that is just so offensive, but that's something he had to grow out of the structure. Yeah. You were talking about the schedule, just how far he has come in terms of well, I playing say, within himself, too. I think that's I think, I think the better word is just he wasn't fully committed. Sure. You know, he wasn't fully committed to every part of the process and understanding, like, you know, and, 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 and you know, Oh, certain guys get it young, like Bradley Bill, he understood it. Mm-hmm. And he, like from day one, he understood what it meant to be professional of like from film to the extra shots to every part of the process of making you get better and having great performance. And, you know, fortunately for, for Dodo, you know, he had coach Donovan and Billy Donovan, uh, or Co- Coach Donovan and Coach White, both of these guys to really like push him and help him to get it because, you know, and that's the thing about great coaches, like they they won't let you settle. Um, they won't let you relax. They won't, they won't let you give up on what they see the potential and who you can be and helping the team and wherever you want to go. Um, and it's just like, you know, my dad would always say, or I can't remember who would always say this, probably my dad, you, you, you really want to worry when a coach stops coaching you because that's when they've kind of given up. They see like, you're not going to get it. And, and to coach White's credit to coach Donovan, they never gave up on Dodo and um, look at him now. It's by no surprise. And I'm sure when he had coach Carlisle, when he got to the math, I'm sure he pushed him as well. His ability to shoot the ball, like Dodo's ability to shoot the ball really helped him so much. Um, even with that, that funky shot he's got where it sits on the side of his head, Hey, it goes in. So, I couldn't be more proud of Dodo, Dorian Finney-Smith with what he's accomplished with his career. And he's playing with Luca. Um, I can't wait to hopefully get him on the podcast one day and talk to him about how, you know, how it's been from day one working, you know, playing with Luca, Dwight Powell. He, you know, he was with Dirk as well. All these great guys. He's had a chance. Yeah. Chris Stops, Gibbs, so. coach. Um, yeah. It's, 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 it's incredible. Yeah. Truly incredible. What do you think you kind of, brought on what I was going to talk about. I mean, we've seen guys who are right there, but could get here in an off season and they go in and change their shooting form and try and add 15 pounds to their frame at the same time and work on dribbling in between their legs in the open court. I mean, all these things to diversify skill set, and then they get to college and then all of a sudden they're not shooting as well from the field or struggling with their, basic mechanics on a free throw shot, you know, yeah. what do you see as the, you know, the pros and cons 
of altering mechanics in the off season and, and just from your experience, how difficult can that be to, to get back to like a natural shooting form when you are cognitively thinking about yeah. doing something different with your shot? Does that make sense? Well, the, 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 the person to look at, look to the first person that comes to mind is Casey Prather. Mm-hmm. He used oh, to yeah. shoot the oh. ball. He used to shoot from left to right. He used to bring it. He used to shoot it across his body for the longest. And he literally took the entire, like after the season was over junior year, we, we, we lose to uh, Michigan um, in the, in the lead eight. He took that entire summer and worked on his form. Like he was, he was obsessed. He was obsessed and committed with the process. He's like, cause he, for the longest, he was just trying to be somebody who he wasn't mm-hmm. and uh, like be this three point shooter. And, and, and he got stuck into this, this time, this way of thinking like, uh, I'm going to show coach Donovan that he's wrong about what I can be and who I should and how I can. And like, that's never going to work. Never, never in the history of basketball is like trying to go against your head coach when he's trying to help you be the best. Like, does that, is that going to work? Because he's the one that puts you in the game kind of thing, you know, takes you out. Uh, so Casey was completely committed to his body, to the process, to the work. And then we see what he ended up doing his senior year. I just think that for some guys, it can get so mental. Um, like, you don't, there's the, the 10, the 10,000 hours, like some people have like disputed that, but I think there's, there's of the 10,000 hour rule, um, you commit to something for a long time and start to believe it. Like it's going to, there's something's going to change. Something's going to start happening. It's, it's not that it's going to be a overnight thing or always going to result into turn into results right away. But to think like something and you're not going to shift and get better, just the commitment you and in, in, in doing that, like you at like, cause sometimes it's like, dang, do I trust the work that I did? Did I work hard enough? Why am I not? Cause like for me, I think coming into, into that last year, I worked a lot on, on expanding my game and doing other parts of it. And it, it just was, it was, it, maybe I should have like communicated better with coach Donovan. Cause I was like, man, I know I can do this well, but like if I can add this 10 to 15 foot jump shots to my game, It'll, it'll make me being in the paint even more. That was my mindset. Like, if I can knock this shot down every now and then, um, it'll open up more dynamics. But it was like, because I was so focused on me, it took away from team, and it ended up hurting the team more than helping. So that's that's where it can get kind of, like, it is, is what you want to do and focus on, is it actually helping the team? Or is it going to turn away and is it going to hurt the team? So it's definitely a double-edged sword. Um, and I'm glad, I'm glad that, you know, being in a position where I could receive criticism and, and, and understanding like, Hey, no one wants you to, to be less than we want you to be the best. So don't lose, you don't want to lose sight of your strengths. Uh, I think that's oftentimes what can happen to, to guys that they lose. And that's what I told Colin. I was like, Hey man, like, yes, definitely do those things. Work on that. But you are so dominant here. Like, don't lose sight of that. And he's been, he's been awesome this year. Isn't part of that because we have this, we've got this, you know, really plugged in society and, you know, with the internet, everyone says, oh, look, another, he's 6'11", 245, you know, he can space the floor. Why can't he? So you're constantly being compared to people who have similar body types as yourself. And when you feel like another guy who 
looks the same and is the same height as you is able to do something, it can be pretty hard not to be like, well, you know, should I be working on my baseline jumper? Should I be able to space Absolutely. the floor and take guys off the dribble? I mean, how tough oh, yeah. is it to avoid comparing yourself to other people out there, especially knowing that, you know, skill sets are something oh, that man. ultimately you're all going to be compared against when you get to that next right. level in a sense. Oh man, you said that so well. I mean, comparison is the thief of joy. Comparison truly is. And yeah, for me, I, I dealt with that. I would look at guys like uh, Cody Zeller or Anthony Davis or, uh, you know, I'm trying to remember who back at that time. There were just other bigs. Uh, uh, Kaminsky, Frank, I would look at Frank Kaminsky. Yeah. I would look at, mm-hmm. I'm like, dang, man, like, I know I could, because Cody Zeller, he would get the most breakout dunks in games I had ever seen a big guy get. And I'm like, I'm like, this kid isn't faster than me. I know I can run fast. Like, why am I not getting the opportunities like that? Or why am I not getting, uh, like, I know I can shoot. I know I can do these things. And, but it'll it'll put you in a place to, to, like, not think of the big picture. Like, hey, we're the number one team in the country. What am I complaining about? Like, before we move on, let me tell you guys a little bit about our partners over at Bet River Sportsbook. If you haven't signed up with Bet Rivers yet, now is the time because they are offering a $250 match bonus for your first deposit. But what sets them apart is that they require just one play through to turn your bonus into cash money. With their new Rush Pay instant approval, withdrawing your winnings is safer, more secure, and more reliable. With basketball season tipping off, get in on the action by going to betrivers.com today or by downloading the BetRivers iOS app. Must be 21 years or older. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLING. Yeah. Like, I, I, we, we're playing – we're holding teams to 40 points because I am the anchor of this defense. And, yes, those stats, like, we – you know, I, I am beloved by – the, this incredible fan base, but compa- like comparison is the thief of joy. It, it blinds you from being great, great, grateful for where you are, what you have. And, you know, and understanding like those guys are dealing with their own stuff, you know, focus on, focus on you, focus on like being a, a good teammate, a great teammate. And, um, but yeah, that, that stuff can, can be poison. It certainly can be poison and affect you from again, staying in a place that's going to help you help your team. Um, and I and I, I wonder, you know, when it when you come and think about the transfer portal, I wonder how much of comparison and, and again, it's another thing where I, I try to look at it with perspective of seeing all the pieces of why somebody would want to transfer. Just just homesick, uh, new coach, um, you're not playing, um, you're not winning. You 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 have a grad year. I'm trying to think of I'm trying to think of all the things, but to be to re, you know realistically, comparison could be a thing mm-hmm. in there, and <clears throat> if filled with comparison in your heart of like, oh, uh, I need to be in this league because this league sucks or what what whatever it may be, and it's like dang, so you're not really coming to the program to be to win, to actually be a contributing person uh to this team is it because you want to take more shots you want a bigger role for yourself uh because last time there's the the only people that are that could that have the validation to say something like there's no i in team but there is a me there's no um there's an i in kobe bryant and michael jordan those are the only guys that have (laughs) 
<laughs> you know, that, that can sure. say things like that. Sure. For everybody else, last time I checked, it's, it's a game that's full of team, full of everybody playing the role, contributing to helping the team win. Are some guys' roles better or, or different or more? Yes, but guess what? That person cannot win on their own. So I just worry about that aspect with the transfer portal. Of sure. The hidden incentives that, that can come in and, and bleed into a team, especially if a player starting to not get happy with their with their role. Um, yeah. and I, it, it, it's hard to tell. That's what makes recruiting nowadays probably the hardest it's ever been in the history of, of college sports. And I, and I think so you've hard. got such a and I think that you have such a great perspective about this because you, you know, played, went through recruiting, went through, you know, the huge expectations at a place like this and so many people want to have the mindset i'm not trying to disagree with you here but so many people want to have the mindset of like oh hey you know patrick didn't have a good year he wants to go somewhere else where he's not the coach aren't going to be as hard on them you know and oftentimes it's the coach that is looking around at the rest of power six basketball and saying hey can i let this person come back on the roster and take up a roster spot take up a scholarship, knowing that there's a bunch of other players, guys who average 16 and seven at some places that can transfer and play here right away. Is it responsible of Oof. me as a head coach for competitive reasons to bring this kid back rather than say, hey, listen, I think you're more of a mid-major guy. I mean, there was a player, a lot of freshmen here in 2004 that weren't having amazing years. And say, you know, Coach Donovan then feels like, hey, I have to improve the roster right away rather than bank on these guys making this, 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 this step. Do a lot of those guys get that second year because there is this commitment between head coach and player? No, the coach also feels a lot of that pressure to say, listen, I'm going to get run out of the SEC unless I get 13 guys who can come in here and play right away. I can't bank on, yeah, you know, if Patrick takes some steps, he could be a a good reserve for us. No, I need to get guys who can play. That's what coaches are dealing with too. Often players are getting the the brunt of the blame though, being like, well, it's got to be because they're selfish. They want to leave. And oftentimes these coaches are like, man, I could lose my job unless I say, hey, get lost. I got to get someone new. Dang. I never even thought about it that way, but that's so true. Um, You know, you, and that's, that's something like fans don't understand. And like, I tell, I tell, I'll tell uh, oftentimes like, hey, you're going to, the character of Billy Donovan and Mike White, because I don't think they would never do something like unless unless this player, a player was like completely cancerous, bad character guy. You know, would I could I see him? The one of those guys like, hey, man, like this, this program is, is, is not working here for you. You, you need to find a fresh start and go somewhere else. Uh, but I can like if a coach, coach White or whomever being on the hot seat, I don't think they would jeopardize the promises they made to those kids' families, the, the, the commitment that they've made to them and, and wanting to push them and the belief that they had just to save their job. I, there's many a coaches around the country that absolutely will do that. Are they justified in doing it? Hey, you know, it, it's, a, it's a business. Now it's a, it's, a, it's a big business now with NIL. But also these, these kids' futures matter. It's not like the NBA uh, – you know, where these guys have so much money in contracts, like these, are, all these kids are trying to make it. You made, you've recruited them, spoken with their families, made house visits, going to their schools, know their coaches and, and whatnot. So there's definitely some moral, moral uh, glances and things to, to think about. Um, and I had never really considered that, but yeah, that man, 
yeah, that, it, this is going to change. This has changed the face of basketball um, because now it's like, oh, snap, I can I can grab that kid. He wants to come here and I can win right now. Like he, he can help our this kid can help our team win. Ooh, uh, we got this many roster spots. We, we, I need I need to make space because I don't know. I just don't think I don't I don't have the patience. I don't have enough time to allow this kid to get because Casey had Casey needed three Casey Prather needed three years to get it to figure it out sure it wasn't until his senior year like and, and you know I referenced Noah and Horford I mean they didn't yeah. have amazing freshman years and then they come back and win two championships there may be a coach that doesn't yeah. want to take that risk with their guys to make that leap and you know yeah you you're mentioned so right you mentioned Mike White that you believe that he is not doing that and I'm in that category that believes that as well because I think we have a specific piece of evidence in Keontae Johnson. They knew that Keontae Johnson, he didn't get a medical hardship, and the odds of him playing this season were slim. They weren't impossible, but they were slim. Rather than tell him, hey, listen, you're, you're not going to be able to stay on scholarship here. I need to bring in a 13th scholarship spot. Florida went into this season with 12 guys on scholarship, and then Keontae Johnson, knowing that they would be going into every game with a season-ending injury. And if Mike really was feeling the pressure or Scott Strickland was saying, Mike, you got to win now, you got to win 20 games. Maybe yeah. he makes that decision and says, Hey, listen, as tough as this is, you got to go to a mid major. If you really want to resume your playing career, I need to go add in someone else from the transfer portal. He didn't do that. And instead Florida has played every game this season shorthanded and they still have a chance on the bubble with an all SEC guy yeah. to make the tournament because he chose the promise and, and the moral commitment that was made between both sides. And so you can look at that, specifically in my mind and say he did not take that opportunity to do so man that's and and for that to be something that's just like overlooked like that's beyond wins exactly. and losses man that's you know that's the the, the character the to, the commitment to that Keontae the kid that almost died he died he, he did die sure. they brought him they brought him back to life um and to his family to the and coach coach key I really I really really hope and pray that he's going to be able to play or do whatever is best for him and his family. But for coach, yeah, I mean, how many, even without Keontae being able to play, we can understand, like, if Keontae was playing, oh, my gosh, this team would be top, for sure, top five. You know, healthy healthy Colin Castleton all season, healthy Jason Jatobo, and uh, healthy Keontae Johnson being able to play at the beginning of the season. We're looking at a Florida team that's top four in this league. Um, and with that being said, yeah, there was a – you know, they lost to Ole Miss on the road. Uh, they should have had the game against LSU at home. Um, Texas A&M by one point. Those games right there, uh, those three, still put, would put them in a much better position. Um, and there's still, there's still a chance. Like tonight, you know, speaking of the game tonight, on 2-22-22, Tuesday, Tuesday of 2-22-22, uh, it's a big game. And um, it's even. It's even for – in, in the books, you know, what do you, what do you think Florida is going to need to do tonight um, to get this win? I've been able to follow Arkansas uh, pretty, pretty well this year. Um, you know, what do you, from your perspective that Florida needs to do to get this dub and, and, and will this W put them in the tournament? I think if I've been saying the magic number in my mind is 19 in the regular season. And if you can get to 20 wins by winning one in the conference tournament, because I mean, Pat, you know, this, the committee stops watching, Friday morning. I mean, if you won one or two games in the conference tournament, they don't care if you were the champion or not, you're getting seated where they decided 
on um, Friday. It, it doesn't benefit you so much to go win the conference championship as it does to show up in the SEC tournament and win one game and then be sitting there at 20 with a net ranking that's, what, 48 and three yeah. quadrant one wins in your last month. For Florida, though, it's kind of what we talked about tonight. Mike White, and I don't mean this in terms of disrespect, and I am definitely interested in your thought on this, but he's a little bit quick to pull guys when they get that second foul, either before the end of the first half or a couple minutes into the second half, knowing that you can't risk foul trouble. And what Arkansas does so well, especially Jalen Williams, who's drawn 41 charges this season, drew four the other night, had 16 defensive rebounds against the Volunteers, uh, a great full court that has, you know, Fulkerson and, and Eves Ponds. I mean, it, you look at what they've done. I mean, I, I think that absolutely, if Florida can avoid foul trouble, then that is going to be massive for them. Um, Don't forget about Euros Plavcic. Yeah, man. I mean, <laughs> as long, hey, they better just not, you know. <laughs> I'm I surprised that he uh, is still playing. You you nailed that, man. Also, I mean, didn't he poke Jatobo in the eye? Or, oh, no, I that mean, was a uh, – oh, man, that was Olivia Kamwa that got him in Oh, the was eye. it? Okay. Yeah, yeah. And then yeah. he was the one who and, threw the elbow into his back. <laughs> he did one yeah. of the two. And, um, you know, that's a guy who, you know, Tennessee – all season, um, you, you always hear that 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 five-letter D word, dirty, in reference to Tennessee. And, and the fact that, you know, Florida has that injury and Jason Jatobo leaves and they're booing the stoppage to review it, you know, I, that kind of didn't really sit well with me. And, and Florida didn't really have any front court guys that they can oh, afford losing at that sense. You know, Anthony Deruji picked up two fouls there when Colin Castleton was hurt. And they sat him rather than try and play him through foul trouble. If you get into foul trouble against this Arkansas team, they are going to run you. They're going to finish in transition. They're great from the free throw line. They're great. From the I mean, Musselman is, is fantastic. I mean, they lead the league in getting to the free throw line. Um, Georgia is right behind them. Um, the 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 your, your best bet against this this team uh, for the Gators is going to be one limiting JD Note. You know, making him take tough – if you can get him in foul trouble um, because they are a completely different offensive team when he is not on the court. Uh, he – he because he can score so well, he opens it up for them. He can knock it down from deep. He can get he can get to the basket. Um, he can pull up. He can he can assist. He He's a great defender as well. He's leading the league in uh, steals. Like, when, when, when is the guy that's a one-two in scoring and, like, leading with two-and-a-half steals per game? But, yeah, to your point, Jalen Williams – he is the for me. He's all. He's an all SEC guy, as as well. He's first. I think he's. I think he should be first team. Um, I think. I think they. Coach Must needs to get him the ball more, uh, because he when he touches the ball, good things happen. But you're gonna have to out physical, be more than physical with him, but also understand like for for Tyree Appleby, for Landers Fleming, that sometimes when he drives to the basket, he just puts his head down. Jalen Williams eats that up. Like he plays to get those those charges, like four four charges last game. He he he's got to be leading this league in in um, charges taken. Um, I think when you know, look at the, the the other guards, Stanley Amude, um, Audis Tony, all these guys have the capability of becoming huge. Uh, can have a, a huge game, um, but I don't think they would kill us. I, I think you know Devo Davis. He's shooting it pretty decently from the three point line. It's on the. It's going to be. It's going to be a game. I think whoever wins the rebound battle and the free throw line battle is going to be the winner of this game. Ultimately, um, it's been really nice seeing Myron Jones 
knocking some shots down these last few games. Brandon, I got so excited when uh, McKissick hit a three. <laughs> you know, he's been shooting like 20%. If even he out of the bench. Huh? He yelled right at the bench. He was so pumped to hit that three. I oh, mean, yeah. He's had a he's had a rough – Brandon, I mean – He's had a rough – You brought up Myron. Man. You brought up Myron because, you know, fans and media, you know, external people have a tendency to speculate when someone's not doing – Poor, you know, not doing well. And yeah. that can, that can be, I know you can attest to this, but that can be really weighing on a player. Certainly if they aren't, you know, if they're on social media trying to get the NIL deals and they're seeing all that stuff too, saying, why can this guy suddenly not shoot? But yeah. you've seen time and time again, when a player is going to attempt to play through injury, you have to be private about that because once the opposition knows yeah. about the injury, it is going to lower your effectiveness, your ceiling. And we saw this with Noah Locke when he played through a sports hernia injury a couple of years ago. And, wow. you know, and, and a lot of, a lot of fans were sitting there saying, why can he only take corner threes? Why does he not, why has he lost a lot of his athleticism? What, I mean, can you play this guy that's not athletic and it's just kind of a three and average D type guy. But when you have a guy like Myron Jones, who is attempting to play through a broken finger, keeping that hidden is so critical to being able to keep using him but you also run the risk of everyone speculating. And yeah. if you don't have a player who can block that out, I mean, that is going to lower their effectiveness more so than the opposition knowing about their injury would. Does oh, that make yeah. sense? Yeah, no, that makes complete sense. Um, gosh, yeah. I, and I feel bad because when I found out that Myron Jones uh, had a broken finger, I was like, oh, man, he's been, like, trying to play through that as being a shooter. Like, that makes a lot of sense. Like not only broken finger, he had COVID as well, um, which I don't know if, if you or if anyone listening has had COVID or hasn't had it. Uh, it it takes a while to get your conditioning back. It takes a good amount of time to feel like you're back in shape. You know, some people have like long COVID. I haven't heard of like any athletes uh, having it, but I remember when I had it, I was still playing um, basketball, and just the condi- it took me forever to ever feel like I could play 10 minutes. Um, and it's like the season keeps going. Like games, you know, at the end of the day, it's, it's going to be about wins and losses and the stats that you put up. Uh, but for him to come on strong, like against Missouri, knocking down five or seven in the first half, only a bright spot for this team. Um, he's had extreme – you know, MJ, he's such a quiet guy. He's a guy that's never going to complain. Um, it's just like when you are – when you're a figure in sports – at all, I'm just like any team, any team um, where you have, there's a big fan base. Uh, you, you you have to just be so mindful about your interactions and presence on social media and understanding like whether the highs or lows of what your performance, don't let what anyone else on the outside affect the way that you think about yourself and what you're doing. But that can be so tough because I, I can imagine not shooting well and just be like, man, my finger is broken. Like, I'm like, <laughs> yeah. I'm doing the best I can. And I, and I know he's a workhorse. He's like probably with trying to make as many shots in practice to, to, to get that thing, um, you know, to, to be as prepared for the games as he could, but um, man. And I think, you know, Colin Castleton dealing, dealing with his shoulder, uh, Anthony Deruji dealing with his, his knees bothering him because he hasn't been playing great these last few as well. Um, but everyone's dealing with something, you know, there's, there's, there's a, understanding of that in the sports world everyone no one's playing at 100 percent 
when you're going out there. Um, everyone's playing at whatever percentage, trying to give 100% of that 85, of that 90 that they got, um, because that's what it's going to take. It's going to, it, it takes more, I believe, mentally than the physical, um, especially for this, this Gator team that's not as talented as, uh, as, as you would hope uh, the team would be. You, you talked about, you know, physical feeling from COVID. I mean, I think there's kind of a misconception that guys can get into ideal shape throughout the season. Just from your experience, you don't really, and clear me up if I'm wrong, you don't gain weight throughout the season. So say you get COVID in November, in December, and you lose 15 pounds, you're, that's your playing weight for yeah. the rest of the season. And if you're a guy that relies on your physicality in the low post to, to be feeling lighter and as if you just don't have this frame that you're used to having protecting you, it's going to absolutely affect your mental, the way you compete mentally and your confidence level on the court. And you know, yeah. I think that a lot of people think, oh, he's back from COVID. He's back. And you're like, maybe not. No. Oh, man, it's, it's, it's really difficult when you think about uh, just dealing with any, anything, any physical ailment, and uh, especially if it's going to affect your weight um, out there in the court. Cause like these guys are probably, you're probably losing muscle. You're probably losing um, the thing that's helping you be physical on the court. And I, I remember, I remember uh, it's going into my junior year, I believe when I had, I got one, uh, I was in the best shape, I think of my four years um, com- coming into that season. Great program. Preston Green had me going through. Um, and then I, I got mono um, and dude, I was out for three weeks. I was out for three weeks. So everything that I had worked for and gained and Stop. pushed towards, it was done. It was gone. Um, the kind my, cause my confidence was at an all time high. I felt like I was in such great shape. I was super excited. And then yeah, just getting hit with that uh, was super difficult. So I can only imagine, you know, to, for that day, I'm, I'm, I'm thankful it happened at the beginning of the season versus like right in the middle. Cause I can only imagine trying to come back from that in the mid, in the middle of the season, uh, just knocking your, you don't really gain weight. No. And you, and you don't really, you know, practices for, for these guys aren't, shouldn't be, you know, two hours, two and a half hours, because it's, it's about the, the result on the game. Like you want short, hard practices that are like on scouting, getting your shots up and then recovery. You got to recover. You got to be as, as fresh as you can be for each game. So, um, yeah, Luke, gaining a lot of weight. The only guys that I know that uh, gained weight in college would have to be the meat hook. <laughs> the meat. If, if you had a chance to listen to him on my, on my podcast, he is hilarious. That guy. And he was he was balling. He, he told Luke, Lon Kruger, he was like, hey, Lon, you recruited me fat, so I'm going to stay fat. <laughs> I, I'm sure that's what, you know, guys like Jason Jatobo went through, you know, Cause like, I mean, you know, Preston extremely well. Preston yeah. is, is in control of the meals. I mean, he is watching if you're trying to sneak anything in the requests, he yeah. knows everyone's metabolism and he decides what weight plan they're on. So you have a guy like Isaiah Stokes or Jason Jatobo guys who have defense alignment hips. I mean, they have to watch everyone after games eat way better food than them because Otherwise, they have such a low, you know, slow metabolism. They risk yeah. gaining weight middle of the season rather than losing yeah. it. Well, that's that's, that's to, to the point of what you and I spoke on earlier. Like, are you fully committed? Are you fully committed to like? And being committed to winning is different for everybody. 
like everybody is going to have their battles and things they're going to need to work on and be more like vigilant on. And if, if weight is one of those and conditioning, you got to be vigilant. Um, but, you know, for Jason, you know, I, I don't I don't think Isaiah Stokes was committed. Um, I think for for in, in the I don't think Jason Jason wasn't committed for a while. Um, he, sure. he, you know, it, it was worrisome for Preston and not like that, that he had to control them. But, you know, you're you're the environment that they when they would leave and go home and be around family and in friends and no one really cares about your commitment to staying a certain weight or keeping you active and all that stuff. And then they come back in the summer and, you know, they would leave for summer A and come back summer B and, and everything that person had these guys working on the train, like it was gone. Um, and, but fortunately, you know, fortunately for Jason, he, he figured out, got recommitted to the game. Um, really unfortunate that he, he, he uh, got poked in the eye and is out for the season, had to get surgery because you could see it. You could see how much more committed and how well he was playing, diving on the floor, like getting up and down. Coach White playing him more and more minutes every game. So just really hope next year, next season for him, um, that he's going to be, you know, get his full vision back and and stay committed, stay committed to the game. Because um, he he's the, the bright spot there for him is like, hey, you can do it. You've done it. You can do it. Believe in yourself. So. Really, really hoping, hopeful for him to uh, come back full for full force. Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, I got to ask you some fun ones before we wrap this up. Let's what do was it. Your favorite, what was your favorite cheat meal to eat in Gainesville? Oh, that's a good one. Uh, where did I always go? Will, Will and I uh, would always go to Subway. We would get the um, double steak Philly cheesesteak, and we would always get the Subway cookies, the uh, – white chocolate macadamia nuts. But whenever I go back to Gainesville now, um, I would go to uh, the, uh, the place that's, that used to be right behind the swamp. Uh, Meal Fresh, some, something. Grill for, Fresh. Grill yeah, Fresh. Grill, I, would go, but it's I closed. think it closed now, sadly. It's, it's closed. And <sighs> for dinner, dinner, I'd always go to uh, Dragon. Dragonfly is my spot. Okay. We've, we've luckily got some better sushi restaurants in Gainesville now than than overpriced dragonfly, but man, yeah, dragonfly. I mean, it is. You're like, you're like now at the stand. So a lot of these kids are going to end up living at the standard. Eighteen to twenty-two year olds, they're moving them out of Keys to live at the standard, which is at the corner of University really? and Thirteenth. Yeah, because you're not going to have the the nasty four by fours anymore. You're going to have brand new living. Billy Napier announced that their incoming class is going to live there, and I think the basketball will be pretty smart to follow is that, uh, is that owned by the university by the university of florida it's, it's not no but they're they're able to use um like dorm stipend money apparently which is wow okay i know right that's that's a huge thing but the bottom floor of that which you could just walk to you know a couple floors down chick-fil-a a bento a cafe miami and then there's a Publix right across the street yeah chicken yep. tender subs i mean macaroni <laughs> and cheese whenever you want it that's tougher than when you were playing. Oh, I mean, man. you you were limited to the amount of snacks that you could eat at night. They couldn't give you snack. You you I think you were playing when they changed that snack rule, and you yeah. were able to eat. They and changed not go that to bed after I left. Hungry. Yeah, they changed that. Uh, fortunately, I mean, yeah, fortunately for us, for Will, like we would try to think how we did it. How um, I mean, we weren't ashamed of going to Gator Dining. You know, Will, Will, and I, like we. We stayed like Will didn't have much money because he was from France. I didn't have like fortunately I had money from Bright Futures, 
Um, and I, I didn't know about budgeting, but I just try to save my money. Like I have like a thousand or $2,000 in my account for, uh, every semester. And I just tried to save it. Um, you know, the team was able to get, get us meals to the gym, like once a week. Now they bring them food every day, every day. They get food after like every practice they get. food. Um, yeah. And then, and then I, I don't know how much money they get on their like debit card, but they get money. They can go spin around restaurants and stuff. So it's, it's a, it's, it's, it's a double-edged sword. And like, yeah. do the kids know enough about nutrition to, to make sure that they can stay in line with their goals and that uh, they can gain weight, lose weight, stay strong, whatever it may be to, to help them. What do you make of, uh, what did you listen to pregame? Who's your favorite artist to listen to? And what do you make of, this current generation, uh, they love. Are you bullheaded in that regard? If I would have known about podcasts, then I would have listened to uh, I would have listened to a lot more Eric Thomas just to get me jacked jack- But I think I, I listened to a bunch of Christian music um, back then. I wasn't I wasn't a huge rap guy. Um, I sure. just and sometimes I just sit there and meditate and try to just focus and visualize what I wanted and needed to do um, for those games. Um, everyone had their own deal. Everyone had their own. We we always dance. We always dance like right before. Uh, <laughs> right before every game. <laughs> what do you make of some of these? Did you see the video of Auburn dancing on the Florida logo before the game? Well, you know, to, to, for them to, and I get it, they do it everywhere. Mm-hmm. But the thing is, it's just because you do it everywhere doesn't make it respectful. <laughs> right? Yeah. And, and it's like the memes. Like, if you lose a game, you better get ready to eat some memes, too, on the internet. I mean, if you jump up and down on the court you get you got to get mocked after the game and said like do it at your home court and then like when you're on the road like do it at the free throw line nobody will care then it it just looks it just looks terrible it's just like dance but like and that and and that's like uh the you know thinking about the handshake line yeah we want to talk mention that yeah we got to talk about that that's (laughs) for completely forgot yeah uh juan howard i thought it was going to be five games suspended for the rest of the season you yeah, think, I mean, is that appropriate? That's, you know, I, I saw $100,000, $100,000. I mean, I don't care how much money he has, how much money he's making. I mean, that isn't set an example type fine. That is a, yeah. we expect more out of you. And, you know, I heard this point earlier and Tom Izzo, I think actually made this point. And Tom Izzo, one of those people that when he speaks, people listen, even if you don't agree with him, you got to kind of see where he's coming from. And being a Michigan guy, seeing those fans behind, knowing what happened in November of 2004 at the Malice of the Palace. Yeah. I mean, if, if you're in the state of Michigan right now, or you represent the state of Michigan at a public university and you are doing that, knowing what, how that changed oh, yeah. the game. I mean, oh, there yeah. are more cops at every game and they stopped selling alcohol because of the Malice of the Palace. If you're going to yeah, be that, selling that like, after stupid, the third quarter. forget about that. Yeah. You know, and you know, that was, that was at the end of the game. And I think the Pacers and and Pistons, it was like an 18-point game at that time, and someone dunks on someone's head, and then it escalates. But the fact that the coaches got involved in the mouse, the palace, I think is where people were like, okay, this is where, of course, the players thought it was okay to fight. The coaches are fighting. (laughs) So you've got Jawan Howard, who played in the league during the mouse, the palace, and now he's out here kind of slapping an assistant coach in the head. And you think that the fix is going to be to stop the handshake line? I mean... I think that no. teaching 18 to 22 year olds self-restraint is an invaluable quality and making 
you go walk and shake someone's hand who just beat you by 15 points. I mean, yeah. that gives you, I think, great restraint and a control over your emotions and a great lesson. Well, the biggest, the biggest takeaway for me is to not own up to the truth. Yes, yeah. you had your guys pressing at the end of the game. Okay, like maybe it wasn't like a, an organized 2-2-1, uh, two, two, but you, you look – they're double teaming. They're trying to. They're trying to, to force turnovers. And it's backups and walk-ons. Yeah, like, yeah. They're, they're trying. Your team is trying to force. And like the coach is like, I'm not going to put my players in the in this situation from the from the Wisconsin side. Like, what yeah. did did he have to call a timeout? But like, I'm not going to. These guys have never play. I want to give them an opportunity to. But like, he's, he's so angry. He was just so upset. Like he he, he was getting his ass kicked. <laughs> well, so part of part of this, I think, is kind of like a baseball thing for people. And I don't know all the unwritten rules of baseball, but if you're down by 15 and you as a losing team, you know, call a timeout. I, I think that there's this unwritten rule here that, you know, you know, programs are not supposed to call timeouts there at the end or else it's seen as like a slight. And I don't think a lot of people get that. And, you know, Juwan Howard, I saw when they were losing by 14 Ohio State, he called a timeout with 35 seconds left. And then he yeah. comes out of the timeout, hits a three-pointer to try and make that a little bit less worse of a game. And now you're getting mad at Wisconsin for doing the same thing when you're pressing them. I mean, that's no longer an unwritten rule in my mind. You're, you're just kind of yeah. grasping at straws to get mad. Yeah, like how much time was left in the game? It was less than a minute, right? It was yeah, 35 seconds. Yeah. 35 seconds. So, like, every coach knows at some point, like, all right, like – we're not going to win. Let's let let them just like dribble the clock out. Like if if uh, it it I mean it's not even justified when a team tries to score again. Like uh, what game did I just watch? Um, the walk on walk on came in. I can't remember what game it was. Walk on comes in. Maybe it was Arkansas or whomever it, it would have been. But like everyone wanted him to shoot the ball. It might have been LSU. But it's like, no, that's bad sportsmanship. We're already winning. Like, he, he shot the ball, like the buzzer went off, and then he shot the ball. Because, you know, he still mm-hmm. wanted, but, but like, to, to shoot yeah. and score, like, there's these unwritten rules that just are not good sportsmanship. So I think, you know, the coach was justified in calling that timeout. And even if he wasn't justified, to ever put your hands on someone like that uh, as the coach of a program, you know, put the hammer on the game. You know, it just sucks. It just sucks now because Michigan's going to be a tournament team. You know, and he's yep. not going to be, and he's not going to be able to coach his team in the tournament. Like, gosh, yeah. it, I think I maybe mean, if he, if he could have apologized, maybe they could have given a. But the fact that he just kept kind of trying to defend himself uh, and 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 make it seem as though he was, you know, the other coach was at fault. Um, that's probably why they came down on him with with such a great hammer. You know, Florida's been up in some games, and you'll see Alex Klatsky get in the game. And the fans, the Rowdies, love it. They freak out when Alex gets in the game. And then they'll be up by nine, and a lot of fans are kind of begging for Alex to shoot a wide-open three-pointer. And, yeah, I can understand why, you know, for a fan, why that's beneficial. But if you're a head coach and you got to play against these guys next year and you're only up by, you know, nine with a minute to play – and you're getting your walk-ons a design three in the corner, is that really the best thing for you to be doing in terms of 
you know, winning that game. I, I do understand that side and, and I can understand why a coach is upset about that, but you watched the Florida Kentucky game recently, right? Yeah. Florida's down 18 with 30 seconds left. That didn't stop Kellen Grady from shooting a three at the very last possession and making it 21. I mean, you have to, I think, read the room in a sense. And if you're calling a timeout to run the lead up, there's a lot of coaches that are just going to take that the wrong way. A lot of times the flow of the game will make it so that you can run the lead up there. But if you're really going for the jugular and calling timeout, I still see a lot of people get really, really upset about that. And there's a lack of understanding, I think, from fan bases about why you want to maybe avoid some of those things. It's kind of messed up. <laughs> yeah. It's kind of messed up. Like, I don't know. It, it, I've always, I've always just like question, question, like if I was a coach, you know, what would I do in a certain situation? Um, you know, I think big picture, maybe big picture, the coach can just say like, Hey, I, I can see from both standpoints. Like I, I'm trying to help my guys get more confidence and build their flow. And I'm not going to, but then also I can see like, all right, let's put these guys in that don't play because this game is already won. Let me save my starters, save these guys for the next game. I, I think I lean, lean more towards the side of like, and I think coach Donovan did as well, saving my guys for next game because I remember on my birthday, I played, we were playing and I was, I was having a career night of rebounds and stuff. And, and I wanted to go back in. I think there was like four minutes left and I wanted to go back in. Um, Cause I was really feeling and coach. He would, he would not put me back in the game. He's like, you know, this game is not as important to the, as in regards to the rest of the season. Um, and I, you know, I still being the competitor to me, I still wanted to go in and fill up the stat sheet and do something great. Um, but coach Donovan, you know, every coach has their principle. Like he, he coach Donovan just, he does not like stat stuffing guys. He does not like it. He does. He hates it. He hate, hated, hated, hated guys that just came in and stuff. Like they, the, the game might show, that you only lost by five, but it was a blowout. In those last few minutes, the starters were still in. They kept getting to the free throw line. Guy finishes with 16, 17 points. And it's like, nah, he had he had six points up until the last when all the starters were out. Hey, yeah. <laughs> I, I I get it, though. I get it, though. It, yeah, it's definitely it, – it's a preference thing. And to expect that every coach is going to have the same philosophy as you, you know, that's another one of those things where I'm just kind of like, guys, that's a misunderstanding. You know, maybe there's a coach that's attempting to be disrespectful, or maybe there's a coach that's trying to pull some guy with a minute left and send a message to him, you know, that I'm going to pull you no matter what at any point in the game. If you make a mistake, whether it's the first minute or the last minute, I'm going to get you out of there. And so sometimes I can see why that is the philosophy. But with when you have these unwritten rules and guys aren't seeing eye to eye, you're going to sometimes – if you don't play it cautious, you're going to offend some people. Let's say that. Yeah, like if the game's already, it, it, it's just much better to go. But, you know, when it comes, no no one has a problem with it when it's in uh, football games and it's Michigan and Ohio State and, you know, Michigan finally wins and they're calling timeouts to savor the win or using all three of them. Like no one has a problem then, huh? <laughs> yeah, Urban Meyer did that at Florida while Billy Donovan was across – you know, campus trying to make sure that he wasn't offending other coaches. Urban Meyer would take a timeout with a minute left. If you said something about him or you would beat him a year previously, he would take a timeout and let that rub in a little bit. And that's going to backfire on you. Absolutely. Because people are going to kick you when you're down, but it's ugly. It's just, it's, just it's a mentality thing. It's, I, it's just ugly. I think it's just, it's just not a, cause at the end of the day, it's just a game. There's no need to be, you know, 
in an a-hole. There's no need to, 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 to do it, but um, yeah. So I want to ask you this. So the Gators end up getting this dub tonight. They make their, their final, their in last four in. How far do you think this team can actually go in the tournament healthy? You know, where Collins healthy, the guys that they have that, you know, are they, are they in, in for a first round? They're out of there second round, you know, round of 32. What are, what are your, what do you think? Yeah. I, I uh, unfortunately think this, this team's ceiling is still the first weekend. If they end up winning one game of the tournament, I mean, I know you Mark, know Mark Wise. Um, he, everyone focuses on the postseason during the regular season. And I think that we kind of lose sight. People can lose sight of why this, is, this happens. It's, you know, the postseason is the goal in my mind for everyone. When you start making your goals, sweet 16, elite eight, I mean, more often than not, you are going to quote unquote fail if that really is your goal. So if this team, yeah. everything we talked about, Collins injury, Anthony, COVID, everything they've weathered, Keontae Johnson, losing, you know, a couple guys to the NBA last year and Trey Mann and Scotty Lewis, the way that they rebuilt with the transfer portal. If they end up making the tournament and winning one game, I know that expectations are crazy here. People love to say I'm in the, the Keep Mike White category. I just love to say that the context is a little bit different than what a lot of fans, Florida fans especially, try and make it. You know, they try and say that if you don't make the second weekend of the tournament, that that season's a failure. And there are guys in that building, you know, that have worked hundreds of hours a week to not be told that their season's a failure if they don't right. make it to the, the second weekend. I can understand why people take that with offense because that is just not, we don't do it with this, you know, pass or fail type mindset. If you make it to a certain point, Florida is able to look at the context. And I think right now, if this team wins one game in the NCAA tournament, I mean, that is amazing. Five straight NCAA tournament appearances. That's the only SEC team to do that. If yeah. Florida ends up doing that. And to, to say that the goals are higher, you're kind of just one setting yourself up for failure and two, just having unrealistic expectations. I mean, Kentucky, yeah. They went nine and 16 last year. I mean, to say that you better make the second weekend if you're an SEC team like that, that's just unrealistic and it shows that you don't understand the context. But actually for this team, I think that they have a, a chance of winning one game in the tournament. They have an mm -hmm. offense that I think is successful whether they're making shots or not because of Colin Castleton and yeah. the low post opportunities that he can get guys and combined with Tyree Appleby's ability to take guys off the dribble, create off the dribble, get his own shot. I mean, when yeah. he's on and Colin Castleton is, is playing well in the low post, Florida can compete with anybody. I've said yeah. that time and time again, but yeah. you have to get both those things in sync. And, and that is Absolutely. more difficult than it sounds. Got to have that. Um, would be great to have Anthony DeRuji just bring energy on both sides. He's still one of the best three point shooters not as far as like volume, but he always gets good looks when he's rebounding, defending, Kwesi Reeves has been a great bright spot for this team. You know, I think for Brandon McKissick, he he's just got to be a guy right now that's taking really, really on defensive side, just helping this team so much as far as, you know, really frustrating whoever, like if he's going to be matched up against J.D. Note, he's got to make, make J.D. Note's day hell. That's, that's straight up. Like that's, that's going to be your job without fouling, get in that, take charges, bring energy to the team. Um, you know, Myron Jones, it, you know, what, what Colin brings on, on both ends of the court, um, it can, can be extremely helpful. But we know when it comes to this tournament, you know, let's focus on, let's focus on today. Got a must-win game. 
I'm still in my mind just like, gosh, Texas A&M, like that's that was the easiest quad one opportunity that you're going to have. But then they go on and they beat Auburn at home. And now they have an opportunity to beat a really, really hot Arkansas team. This Arkansas team is hot, extremely hot. They uh, they should have beat Alabama. Uh, they should not have lost that game to Alabama. They had 21 offensive rebounds and only 10 second chance points. They were right there. Their defense held the explosive offense of Alabama to like 60 points. Um, so, but, you know, we'll see. We'll see. I'm just, uh, it's just all, it's just great that they have a chance. You know, Arkansas uh, did the same thing that Florida, Florida did. They started SEC play with three straight losses. And I'm sure that there were a lot of fans there who were like, oh man, we were supposed to be one of the best teams in the league. We got Eric Musselman. We re-signed him to a new contract. We got Chris Likes from Miami. I mean, you name it. They lose three straight in SEC play. I'm sure that they were like, oh, man. Yeah. It's not good. And now they've won 11. And they lost to Hofstra. Yeah, they lost to Hofstra. They lost, um, I think, to, they didn't lose to Gardner-Webb, but they were in a battle with Gardner-Webb there in the first half. I mean, this is a team that, and if it's not Gardner-Webb, I'm thinking of someone else, but this is a team that, you know, had new pieces, had to figure it all out, and now they have – they're firing it on all cylinders and should have won. Yeah. Like you said, that Alabama game should have won that Alabama game. And then they wouldn't have lost since January 8th. So yeah, they are going to be a daunting challenge tonight. If Texas A&M wins their conference tournament, I think, <laughs> what is that? They probably, cause they're, they're projected to, to get an automatic bid. Uh, if they, if they win, does that help Florida at all? Or is it too is, late? That, Texas Southern. Yeah. The, oh my gosh. You if if, if they back. if they win their conference tournament and get that automatic bid, uh, what do you does that help Florida at all? I think Florida's already been helped by the fact that Texas Southern is not a six win team that everyone thought they would be. I mean, the fact that they're already playing right now, yeah, it'll help Florida in terms of. I, I think that it would um, make it a, a quadrant uh, three loss in that situation rather than a quadrant four loss, which would help Florida in the net rankings slightly, but. You know, people were so quick to say, oh, this team is so bad. They lost everyone. They lost, you know, nine games in a row. Texas Southern's the worst loss of the season. And now we're sitting here three months later and they could make the tournament and have great length. I mean, it's, just, it's a hard one. Length to front court was insane. <laughs> it's if it was yeah. a close to get blown out by Texas Southern was just a hard one. To did you did you know Mike Hill when you were here? You know who that is? Yeah, I know Mike, Mike Hill. Hill. So Mike Hill used to kill it with the schedule. Every single year. I'm sure you guys would get the schedule and be like, oh, we're playing these guys this early and this is going to be tough. But that because that was because you knew you would take some lumps and you wanted to have that impressive resume. Florida heading into SEC play, it may be a little bit higher right now, but their strength of schedule was 229th mm-hmm. out of 357. That's where the losses to Texas Southern are really going to hurt you because you can't sit there and be like, hey, look at our net strength of schedule. We have, yeah, we lost to these guys, but we're a top 50 strength of schedule. Now you're talking about being in the bottom third right now. And that is just so atypical of Florida because when Mike Hill was here, now he's at Charlotte, he was so uh, good and not saying that who's doing it now isn't, but he was known for creating a very, very tough schedule that Florida would be grateful for in, in five, six months down the line. Oh man. Good old Mike Hill. My guy over at, a. uh, the AD over at UNC Charlotte now. So a really good man. I got a chance to see him a few weeks ago. And uh oh wow. Love that guy. But yeah, Graham, I'm gonna uh well we got we got about three few more hours till till tip off. Hopefully, 
we'll be we'll be smiling. Yeah, yeah absolutely. <laughs> Hopefully, we'll yeah. be smiling that uh they can get it done tonight. Um, but I guess we'll see. But really appreciate your time and um, hopping on the show with me, getting a chat a whole bunch of bunch of stuff. And um, yeah, I mean we'll we'll see how this season ends up for the Gators. Uh, this is an honor. Thank you. Thank you. No, it was it was an honor here, man. I'm a big fan. You've been killing on SEC Network. So smart, so intelligent, and you really, I think, relate to the viewers. The way you talk, it just it's it's like we're in a room together, and yeah. it really, I think, helps people understand the game at a higher level because they're paying attention to who's telling it, yeah. about it, teaching them. So um, keep killing it, man. I'm a, I'm a big fan, still am, and excited to watch you kill it in this business for a long time. Thank you, my man. I really appreciate it. Yeah, just uh, doing my best. Still, it's TV is so fast. TV is so freaking fast. But, ladies and gentlemen, that was another episode of the Young and the Rowdies. Make sure you check out uh, the Razorbacks being hosted by our Florida Gators. Really important quad one opportunity uh, could solidify the Gators making it into But it's been a fun season. We got a few weeks left, and you believe it, March Madness is right around. Um, please like and share and subscribe and do all those fun things that you do with podcasts. Uh, but I'll see you guys next week. Thank you so much.